It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on? It's your Tuesday episode of Locked on Raptors. And on today's show, it's trade season, baby. We are just about a month away from the February 10th NBA trade deadline. And on today's show, I'll be offering a bit of a primer of what to expect over the course of the next month, which names could be in play for the Raptors. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Are they something in between? We will dig into all of that, talk about the positions of need and some players and fake trades I've concocted as well with the insight of a couple of our Locked On hosts around the network as well. So that's all coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Stick around. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? 
welcome to episode number 1094 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, uh, January the 11th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors on Twitter as well. And you can find the podcast free and available on all your favorite podcast apps, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey, whichever one you use. It's there and it's free. And same goes for on YouTube as well. You can hit that big red subscribe button and uh, support the show. We are now over 1,400 subs, which is very, very wonderful. Thank you to all of you who have subscribed recently. And if you have friends who are like, I love that Sean Woodley guy on Locked On Raptors, encourage them to subscribe on YouTube as well. And as always, a big thank you for making us your first listen of the day. All right, on today's show, we are digging in to trade season, baby. The deadline is February 10th. We are now 30 days away from that, and we're seeing the reporting from Shams and Mark Stein and all of the dumps and the rumor mill all kind of flying right now. And so we're going to sort of try to give a bit of a primer for the Raptors in trade season. It's going to be a bit of a different type of year where there's not really a clear binary as to what the team is. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? I don't think they really, like, it kind of defies distinction this season. So we'll dig into that. We'll dig into the Raptors' situation financially and all of that and why I think there's only really a couple specific types of moves this team should be looking at. We'll also talk about some positions of need. And I also solicited some player names from those of you who listen to the show, sent in players you want me to talk about, address. Won't hit all of them today, most likely, but I will sort of run through them and why I do or do not think the Raptors should pursue said players. So let's get into it. First, with just sort of giving a bit of a lay of the land as to where the Raptors sit right now. The Raptors currently are, uh, of course, 20 and 17. They're pushing sixth in the Eastern Conference, which I think you could qualify as a success so far. I think, you know, this was supposed to be a bit of a see what you got type of season. And we're seeing what they got. And this team at full health has been very good. Yes, the schedule has been up against some bad teams, teams without their best players. They have a tougher schedule coming up here, so we'll get a little bit more, I think, proof of concept over the course of the next few weeks before the deadline, but I I think overall, this season has been a success so far. Scotty Barnes seems ahead of schedule. Pascal Siakam is back to where you want him to be, and probably even a little bit better than he was back in 2019-20 because of the playmaking. And then you factor in Fred Van Vliet, who has been just out of his mind, and this team is looking like one that can potentially... Get to that sixth seed. The Cavs are injured, kind of flailing a little bit right now, even with their wonderful front court and Darius Garland being awesome. They're a little bit thin now because of injury, and there's certainly an opportunity for the Raptors to climb into that sixth seed. And I guess the question is, do you make a move to ensure you get there, or do you say, hey, sixth, seventh, eighth, doesn't really matter. It's kind of a success no matter what. We're probably going to lose in the first round regardless of who we play. Maybe it's not worth sort of putting all your chips in. You know, this is going to be, I think, kind of a in-between type year for the Raptors, right? Again, I don't think you can really do the black and white buyer versus seller thing because they have some guys they want to sell, obviously. Goran Dragic comes to mind as the first one. And I think you have to, we'll start on Dragic. I think you have to kind of temper your expectations as to what the Raptors might get back for him. Back in the summer, you know, we did a podcast with Nick Angstat from Locked On Mavericks, and it was like, oh, okay, who's going to, you know, who who are the Mavericks going to pony up to get Goran Dragic? Is it Dwight Powell? Is it Josh Green? Is it Tyrell Terry before they cut him uh, unceremoniously? Is it going to be something in between? Will there be picks involved? It seemed like the Raptors might get something reasonable, maybe not terribly substantial, but something for Goran Dragic. Now it doesn't quite seem like that's the case. Obviously, he hasn't played with the team all season. 
I will go to my grave thinking that Goran Dragic could have been a really helpful and fun contributor to this team as a veteran guy, but I'm probably going to lose out on that one because it's just we're never going to get to see it happen. He's in Slovenia hanging out and waiting for a trade. And so there's not a lot of trade value there for Dragic right now. And you're probably just looking at swapping money for money with a team that can use Dragic more than whatever sort of salary ballast is going back the other way. Maybe a second round pick changes hands depending on who is getting the better player and what the situation is. Maybe the Raptors attach the second. Maybe they get a second for Dragic depending on the money they're taking back. It's hard to find an easy match right now. I did, however, come up with a fake trade that I will reveal to you in the next segment uh, where I have solicited the input and advice of our Rockets and Mavericks hosts for a little three-team action involving Goran Dragic. So that's coming up, but you got to temper your expectations. The deal I've concocted that you'll see in the next segment probably isn't going to happen, so probably expect just some sort of money-for-money, ghoulish, sort of boring swap, if not a buyout after the deadline with Goran Dragic. The other guys that you got to keep an eye on, I suppose, are Chris Boucher, who is one of the sort of only really sizable, movable contracts on this team. This is the problem with the Raptors in this trade deadline, right? Is their six best players are their six most expensive players, and you don't really want to go and like move those guys, right? Unless you're getting a serious upgrade. There's no incentive to move those guys, but that makes it really difficult to pull off trades because you need those big salaries to pull off deals for big upgrades. So Pascal Siakam not going anywhere. Fred Van Vliet not going anywhere. OG Ananobi not going anywhere. Gary Trent Jr. I don't think is going anywhere either. I, I think with Trent, you know, I was asked this question in the community tab on the YouTube page. You know, is there a chance they flip Fred uh, Trent for an upgrade? I think the only way you're flipping Gary Trent Jr. if it's in like a big swing star trade. Otherwise, just let him ride this out. He's on a very movable contract. He's expiring next year, I think, with a player option, I suppose, for the year after. Maybe he's playing himself out of the $18 million a year range. Maybe he's not. I I guess that's a debate for another day. But either way, he's a guy that you throw into a package. If you're trying to land some sort of superstar, a $16 to $18 million Gary Trent Jr. becomes pretty attractive if you're some other team. And so I, I, I think you're holding off on dealing Trent for any sort of, you know, you're not trading him for a center because that depletes a lot of your, your depth in the wings. And I'll get into the next segment why I think you shouldn't be trading Gary Trent Jr. You should be getting more Gary Trent Juniors on this team because that's exactly the kind of guy they need to help breathe some space and life into their offensive attack. So I don't think you're moving on from Trent. And then you get down to Scotty Barnes, not moving him, obviously. He makes seven million bucks a year. And then you're into the Chris uh, Chris Boucher, Kem Birch area. Boucher makes about $7 million. Birch makes six point three. Can't really see the Raptors wanting to move Birch right now unless there's a deal out there where you know, you're getting a young guy back and some contender really views Birch as a premium piece to add for the postseason run. Maybe there's like a Jalen Smith swap in there. We'll get to Smith in the final segment as well. But again, just kind of reiterating, it's difficult for the Raptors to make a substantial move right now because they don't have a ton of contracts available for trade. And Chris Boucher, who's probably their Swedish trade asset right now in terms of guys they actually want to move for some sort of upgrade elsewhere on the roster, is playing really well and has been really valuable for this team. I still think there's a good chance he gets dealt and maybe his good play lately actually increases the chances he's dealt because maybe a contender out there sees him as someone who can actually help them. You know, I, I think the Bulls still kind of come to mind as a team that could use a Boucher. I'm going to talk with Adam Armbrecht of Locked On Nets about Boucher as a guy who could help that team out, maybe fill in some of the production they're not getting from Blake Griffin right now. 
you know, we'll, we'll get into sort of specific teams and ideas for specific players over the course of the next month. But this, again, is kind of a laying of the land and, and setting up the situation. The other thing to note here as well is that money is a factor. The luxury tax is a factor. In a perfect world, everyone pays a luxury tax. The billionaires spend their money on their sports teams that are vanity projects, and we're all happy. However, the way the CBA is set up, it's punitive to be in the tax multiple times. And the way this Raptors team is trending, they're not a title team this year. I think you can look at next year as sort of being the first year of their open competitive window. It obviously depends on how well Scotty Barnes you know, develops in the summer and what he's looking like next year. But like, I think next year is the first year you can declare it will be a disappointment if the Raptors don't make the playoffs, aren't a top six top six seed. I think you know it's okay to sort of speed up the timeline to, to, to that extent. That extent, I think that's fine. The problem is you have to you know negotiate the the luxury tax because there's repeater penalties, right? If you pay it two out of three years, I believe you have to pay even more money in luxury tax, and it's difficult to team build around that. It's a thing that restricts your ability to improve your team overall while also costing you a ton of money. Ask the Warriors right now who have like a $400 million tax bill or something insane like that, but they're a championship contender, so that's fine. And they're a team with like a lot of sort of, uh, you know, loyalty tied up in their main guys who they've paid. The Raptors have that too, certainly, but not to the same extent. And it's again going to be punitive for them to go into the tax going into future years. So any deal they bring in some money this year or any deal where they bring in some money this year, you have to consider, does that affect their tax bill potentially next season? And we'll get into why or how the Raptors can avoid that, the kind of salaries you're looking at to potentially squeeze in in a trade this year. If you are going to make a big deal for someone who's still on the books next year, we'll get into that in the next segment as well. But you know, it, it's just it's a it's a weird year for the Raptors. There's not really this necessity to push in right now. If you can make a low stakes move on the margins to improve your odds this year without giving up future assets, I think that's kind of the sweet spot for this team. So maybe a Boucher swap with a more sort of suited player for the team's needs. You clear up some of that front court glut and you get some wing help. Maybe that's possible. We'll go through different uh, possibilities and iterations of deals as we go forward here. But that's, I think, kind of the way the Raptors set themselves up. And, and frankly, I think they should only really be making a move here if they're getting someone who can help them next season. That's kind of my big thing is like, yes, it'd be nice to have some push for the run this year. And maybe you can achieve that by trading Boucher for an expiring guy. And you're fine with that. It's just uh, expiring for expiring and you're trading based on fit. It's hard to find $7 million guys who are really that effective, who are going to move the needle. But, you know, th that, that's a possibility. But I really think getting someone who can help out next season and be there to help the sort of push to a postseason spot that, again, you're going to be expecting next year, I think that's kind of the move. So we'll get into a couple of those moves in just a second and talk about one position of need, which is backup, wing, shooter, you know, any, any anyone who can shoot, frankly, who can handle the ball just a tiny little bit. We will dig into that and some trade ideas that I've come up with that in just one second. But first, I want to tell you about our pals over at betonline.ag. We'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue their march towards the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all your best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop or mobile website is now along with it. You can go sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online is where the game starts. 
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's dive in now to one position of need, which is bench shooter. This, I think, is the biggest area of need for the Raptors. We'll talk about centers in the final segment. I don't think center is actually that big a need. I'll tell you why in about 10 minutes time. But for now, let's focus on the wings, which I think, you know, my belief in this being the biggest need for the team was only doubled down upon when they played a game without Gary Trent Jr. over the weekend against the Pelicans. Yes, they won that game, but the offense was supremely sticky, very cramped, very crowded. Oftentimes there were three people in the paint for the Raptors at any given time, and they somehow made it work. Future ball, baby. You love to see it, but they need a little extra space. You see the effect Gary Trent Jr. has on the offense when he's out there. There's more space for driving lanes. There's a 40% three-point shooter lurking about, waiting to knock down threes, waiting to unleash his, his dribble drive game and his mid-range sort of arsenal. That's all a really nice thing to have, and it would be really cool if the Raptors' second unit had that too. I know they're leaning hard into playing everyone is 6'8 or 6'9 in that second unit. See Ockham and Barnes are the point guards. That's well and good and fun. But when you're looking at those lineups, and it's Siakam, Barnes, Achua, Boucher, and you know, insert guy on the wing here, whether it's Utah, whether it's Champagny, whether it's OG, anyone you you slot in there, those lineups really feature like one, one and a half good shooters. That's not enough, and it's just it's it's a little too difficult for guys like Siakam and Barnes to really achieve the, their sort of full potential as ball handlers and playmakers when the lineups are that cramped and lacking space, and so. I think someone you got to bring in at the deadline is going to be someone who can shoot threes, who can maybe sort of be a secondary creator for you a little bit. And I have two guys who really come to mind for me. They are Terrence Ross and Eric Gordon. Yes, Terrence Ross is featured in my uh, little background here in that photo right there. Uh, If you're watching on the YouTube, yes, I am a Terrence Ross appreciator and acolyte and fan. I don't think this is my bias kind of seeping in. I think he's legitimately pretty good fit with the Raptors. He makes 12 and a half million bucks this year, 11 and a half million bucks next year. It's a descending contract before he becomes a free agent after next season. And I think Ross would be a really nice addition. You know, Nick Nurse has talked about how having Gary Trent Jr. on the floor, it's really important to have a like style player for him to swap in. That's why he's played Svi Mihailuk so much. Svi has not been good. He's not shot threes very well. You can't rely on him. As Zach Lowe pointed out on his podcast yesterday with Eric Kareen and Blake Murphy, like there's no one in the league who's like, I don't know what the hell I'm getting from this guy type of player than Svi Mihailuk. And you got to have something more reliable than that. I think he's had plenty of chances and it just doesn't seem like it's going to click for him. He's a perfect 12th man, an eighth man, maybe not so much. And so Terrence Ross stands out to me as a really good option. I have a trade as well that I've devised with the help of Philip Rossman Reich, who is the wonderful host of Locked On Magic. And I'm going to pull that up for you here. Here is the deal that I've concocted. It is the Raptors landing 
Terrence Ross in exchange for Chris Boucher, Svi Mihailuk, Malachi Flynn, and a second round pick in 2023. That's the first second round pick they have available to them, I believe, uh, thanks to Fanspo and their trade machine for this lovely little graphic that I have stolen and shared. Um, not stolen, downloaded. It's, it's different. <laughs> Either way, this deal, I think, works for the Raptors because you get Terrence Ross in there. It kind of clears out some of, some of that front court glut as well. Malachi Flynn is, I guess, the big one to give up on here, but the Raptors clearly don't have Malachi Flynn very firmly in their plans going forward. And so I think it's probably okay to cut bait on him if you're the team who can really address a need. If they're really going to lean into Siakam and Barnes being the backup point guards, Flynn can be used as a piece to sweeten a deal. I spoke with Philip Rossman Reich, the host of Locked On Magic, about this deal. He thinks it's close to being something the Magic would consider. Malachi Flynn's the sort of piece for the future you bring back. Chris Boucher is someone they can get a look at, maybe bring back if they want to. If not, he's just a guy to fill out the season. Sfi is salary filler, and that second-round pick is at least something for the Magic to have on hand as well. Terrence Ross might command more than this. He also might not. We know Terrence Ross. It's why I love Terrence Ross. He's inconsistent. Can he be a postseason contributor? I'm not really sure. You know, he's had some postseason runs with the Raptors, was never really, you know, fully featured, except for when he was stealing balls away from Paul Pierce in Game 7, close situations late uh, on inbound attempts. That was beautiful. Maybe we should just go watch that after this and feel good about our day. But either way, I think Ross is a really nice fit. And again, he can be on the team next season. So you go into next year knowing you have that backup wing option. And the really nice thing about bringing in a Ross and not giving up a Trent is you can play them both together. Imagine some of the lineups you could roll out where it's maybe Barnes, Siakam, and then those two shooters plus uh, a center of Kem Birch, Precious Achua. Or maybe you want to go even smaller and throw Utah in there and have all shooting around those guys. It really opens up the different types of lineups you can play as opposed to just having one specialist shooter off the bench or shooting wing on the team. You have two and you can either play one or two. You can play Ross with starters, play Trent with the bench. Like there's a lot of different ways you can play around with it. And it's just added flexibility the team has when they, that they don't have right now because of the way Sfi is not performing and the way Boucher, while he's playing very well right now, is sort of a, you know, there's a lot of, there's a surplus of bigs on this team. And I think, you know, if you use Boucher to help, you know, remove from the surplus to add to a position to need, I think that's totally fine. So this is the first deal I think kind of makes some sense. The next player I want to talk about is Eric Gordon, um, who again is, uh, you know, a good player. He's old, he's veteran, all of that stuff. I think there's this sort of maybe like, thought that because he's been on the Rockets, he's bad now or something like that. That's not the case. He's had a pretty solid season so far, and I think he would be even a more ideal fit than Terrence Ross would be, which is tough to say, tough for me to say, because I love myself some Terrence Ross, but I think on a next year's version of the Raptors and for the rest of this season, having someone like Eric Gordon would be really valuable. This is a young team. This is a team that is sort of still figuring itself out. Yes, there's some championship equity left over from Siakam and Ananobi and Van Vliet, but really, this is a really green team across the board. You've got Scotty Barnes making his way up, and they're probably going to have a first-round pick to add to their coffers this year as well. Maybe not, because I have a fake trade coming up that might cost that first-round pick, but we'll get to that in a sec. I, I think Gordon... You know, he makes 19.6 million bucks or so is his salary for next season. It works into the Drogic trade a little bit too. Like if you want to match those salaries, you probably have to add something significant in order to get the Rockets to want to take on Drogic and maybe flip him somewhere else just because the Rockets want something for Eric Gordon. He's a valuable piece. He's a commodity who could help a contending team right now. 
And look, I, I think it's far more likely than not the Raptors don't get either of Ross or Gordon because other contenders will come up with better offers. But if you are in the business of trying to sort of do this thing that the Raptors do, which is just slowly add, slowly improve, slowly build up until you kind of reach a point where you can be opportunistic and find a star or whatever it might be, I think Gordon can help you get there. And he doesn't come at an insane cost and he doesn't come at money that's going to be prohibitive. I spoke with Daniel Hackett, our pal from uh, Raptors HQ. He's our cap expert over there. This time of year, I'm messaging him roughly once a week saying, hey, Daniel, I'm dumb. Can you help me know the cap better? And he does. He's the best. It works to potentially bring in Eric Gordon for next year and avoid the tax. Here is how it happens per Daniel Hackett in a DM to me. Uh, The actual numbers, quote, 114.5 million committed to 10 guys next year. So the tax line is actually going to be about 144 million. It's projected right now. So you can add about 30 million bucks in salary to that 10 players, uh, to that 114 for 10 guys, obviously 15 players on a roster spot at 1.8 million per slot. If nothing changes except adding Gordon and we ignore their pick, maybe the Raptors pick, maybe Gordon costs them that pick. That means you have enough room to bring in Gordon at his $19.6 million salary. Plus you get 5.4 million of minimum signings, Brings you to 14 guys with five million bucks to spare. This assumes that Boucher and Utah and Dragic and Bonga all walk. Anything going to any of them cuts into that five million dollar cushion under the tax line. Maybe they give some money to Utah on like a biannual deal or something like that to keep them around. I would like to see that. I like Utah a lot, but in this context, you get Eric Gordon and you stay under the tax. I think that's a pretty reasonable way to go. So let's pull up the fake trade, shall we? This one I spoke with Jackson Gatlin from Locked On Rockets and Nick Angstat from Locked On Mavs about it, and they actually did not laugh me out of the room. Nick Angstat said he actually hoped the Mavs would do it, and Jackson Gatlin also did not hate it. So here's the deal. The Raptors get Eric Gordon and Willie Cauley-Stein, Gordon from the Rockets, Cauley-Stein from the Mavs. The Rockets get Dwight Powell and the Raptors 2023 lottery protected first round pick and the Mavericks get Goran Dragic. I said 2023 for the pick. Maybe it's 2022. Maybe the Rockets want to have a bit more of a chance of it being a good pick if the Raptors bottom out next season by chance. They don't look like they're going to do that this year. So maybe that's the, the thinking here for the Rockets. Either way, the Mavericks get Dragic to close it out. And Jackson said this would potentially be enough because they want something in return for Gordon. And that first round pick could be enough to swing it. You get Goran Dragic to the Mavericks, which Nick Angstat was very, very excited about. He thinks that the Mavs like Dwight Powell too much to do this, but he said he would do this in a heartbeat if he were the Mavericks. So I think this is a pretty reasonable trade too. It gets the Raptors' Eric Gordon. Willie Cauley-Stein is just kind of, you know, maybe he gets waived or bought out or something like that, and he's not really a part of the future or anything like that. But Gordon can be part of this team for this year and next. If things don't go well next season, he becomes a guy you can flip as an expiring contract that becomes pretty valuable. But if he's helping your team win, just ride it out with Eric Gordon. Let him walk. You're not really all that invested in the Eric Gordon experience you let him walk next year after going through a playoff run that's probably more than okay as well even with the first round pick having been given up you get a year and a half of eric gordon that seems like a pretty all right thing to me if it helps move this team along and help contribute to their development and improving the way that their lineups come together and helping to maximize scotty barnes and pascal siakam and all of that i think gordon would be a really excellent fit you could play gordon with trenton lineups you could play the one one to the other with the bench Gordon can handle the ball just a little bit to take some of that burden away, be a secondary contributor. I like Eric Gordon quite a bit. Other wings who came up in the sort of uh, soliciting process for this episode, Karis LeVert, don't really think he does it for me. He's not a shooter. He has the ball in his hands too much to be, like, he, he is effective with the ball in his hands. 
you don't want the ball in Karis LeVert's hands when you can have it in Fred Van Vliet, Scotty Barnes, or Pascal Siakam's. Siakam and Fred are just better than LeVert is, is at handling the ball and playmaking. And I'd rather Scotty Barnes get the developmental reps than have him go to Karis LeVert. So that one doesn't do it for me. Gary Harris came up as well. Uh, the Magic currently have him on their roster too. He's making about 20 million bucks a year. He kind of slots into that Drogic uh, situation if you wanted to do that. However, I've once again spoke with Philip Rossman Reich from Lockdown Magic, and he said that the Magic might actually want to keep Gary Harris around. He's been quite good for them this season. And if they are going to move on from him, they probably want something more than what the Raptors are going to be willing to offer for an expiring wing who they're probably not going to pay going forward. So doesn't really work for me as a rental for Gary Harris. I don't think you want to be throwing in a future first or anything like that to bring him in. I also got asked about Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I mean, the Pelicans shouldn't want to trade him. They need young talent. They need to kind of get their stuff together. And I don't think moving on from Nikhil Alexander-Walker is going to be terribly uh, appealing to the Pelicans. So that's kind of my read on the wing situation. I got more uh, on bigs coming up in just a second here to close out this episode of the show. But before we do that, just want to remind you that we have a podcast at Locked On called Locked On Now, and it's very good. It is a nightly recap of all the things that have gone on in the night in the NBA or NHL or NFL or MLB when the baseball season is going on. And it is a quick little one-minute recap of every game from all of our local hosts. Yours truly appears on it all the time. I will be on it tomorrow talking Raptors Suns, and it is a great sort of condensed read on what happened in the league. You missed all the games. No problem. You got Locked On Now. Go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or watch it on YouTube. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, let's uh, finish up here with some thoughts on big men. This has been the position that Raptors fans have been clamoring for for a year and a half. Raptors need big men. They don't have Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka. They have no one over six foot nine or six foot ten. They need bigs. They need bigs. Here's the thing: the Raptors don't need bigs right now. They have like seven or eight guys on their roster who can play either the four or the five. Positions mean nothing to the Raptors nothing they don't care about positions and they have centers on the roster to sort of constantly be clamoring for centers undercuts the fact that a they're playing this cool future basketball where scotty barnes is their starting center and it's super fun and those lineups have been pretty effective small sample i think they got kind of dinged in one of their last outings but i'm enjoying watching the raptors starting five you also have ken birch who everyone loves ken birch everyone wants to see more ken birch some people want him to start but then it's like, oh, well, they also need a center. It's like, they got Ken Birch. They just paid Ken Birch. He's a totally cromulent center. There's nothing wrong with Ken Birch if he's going to be someone who plays 22 minutes a night. Precious Achua is a nice developmental project. Do you want to bring in a center to take his minutes away? Basically, where I'm at with the center thing is, unless the Raptors are getting a true game-changing center, a superstar center, or something just below the superstar tier, I don't think they're going to be adding a center as a core piece of this team. That's not the vision they seem to have in mind. And I think they're sort of doing the calculus in their head. And it's like, all right, well, if we have big players at every other position, we can probably hang on the boards. And the boards are the real thing that are sort of the hang up right now. Yes, they're a bad defensive rebounding team. They're also an incredible offensive rebounding team because they're trying to do that. And it's trying to salvage offensive possessions. And it's working pretty damn well. 
So I don't know. I, yes, defensive rebounding is a problem. It's less of a problem if the defense is playing at a really high level, which it's not just yet, but there have been flashes that, that it could get there. I just don't think a center where you kind of throw him in, who knows what kind of skill set he has. Does he complement the guys they have right now? Does it clog space for driving lanes for Siakam Barnes and Fred Van Vliet? All these things are really important considerations. So unless it's like a Carl Anthony Towns, I don't think the Raptors are going after a center unless it's someone who really changes their lives, which is not something that's readily available around the NBA. Because if you have a game-changing, life-changing center, you're probably keeping them. So I got sent a few names. I don't think any of these are necessarily likely or even that great of fits, but we'll run through them. Miles Turner comes up a lot, of course, with the Pacers. I've really cooled my Miles Turner agenda. There was a time where I was really in on the idea of Miles Turner, right around the time where I thought Jalen Suggs was going to be a Raptor. I thought you get Suggs, you get Turner, perfect offseason, you go forward, you're very happy with what you've got. Obviously, they did not get Jalen Suggs, they got Scotty Barnes instead who rocks and who really complicates and muddies the waters in the front court in a really fun and delightful and futuristic way, but it still complicates things. So, you know, when it comes to Turner, uh, yes, he's nice. Yes, he can shoot threes. Yes, he's a great rim protector, but A, he's not a great rebounder. That's not really solving your problem on that end. And he's not the game-changing type of center we're talking about here, where you're making a big swing to trade for him. You're putting all these assets in, and then you're kind of left with, all right, what else do we have to throw into a star trade? Probably not a whole lot after getting Miles Turner because the Pacers are going to want a, a premium. Lots of teams are going to want Miles Turner. You're probably going to have to win a bidding war to get him. It's just not a fit for me. I don't think Miles Turner fits on the Raptors anymore in a way I, I that a way that I thought that he used to. Uh, other names that got thrown in my way: Jonas Valanciunas is one. Obviously, love Jonas Valanciunas. He's fantastic. If they brought him back, I'd be overjoyed for nostalgic purposes. He's just the best. But as as far as a fit goes, I, like he doesn't. Yes, he's been shooting threes this year. Yes, he's being called Dirk Valanciunas by his teammates and coaches. But, like, I don't think if you get down to it in a postseason series, is a team really worried about Jonas Valanciunas' three-point shooter? Probably not. That's probably cramping your spacing. And, yes, it'd be nice to have a guy to dump the ball into and sort of do his wonderful post-up work and work as the sort of Mack truck of a dive man that he is as well. That'd be a great thing just to sort of unlock easy two-point buckets whenever you need them. That would be a thing the Raptors could use, but I fear that his lack of passing, his lack of defensive mobility doesn't fit into what the Raptors really want to do on the defensive end, and I don't think he's going to make up for that enough with his offense. You can't use him as a fulcrum of your offense. You're kind of dumping it into him, and we saw when the Raptors played the Pelicans on Sunday, you double-team Jonas Valanciunas, and problems are going to be had. Yes, he'll make the rudimentary kick out to the close wing, but he's not making skip passes to the weak side. He's not, you know, making these gorgeous sort of big-to-big passes that Pascal Siakam might see when he gets uh, sees a double team. Like, it's just not the same kind of guy. And so I'm pretty out on Valanciunas. He's also quite expensive, too. So that's a consideration as well. Uh, Jakob Pertl came up. I love Jakob Pertl so much. He's legitimately my favorite player to ever talk to doing media. He's fantastic. I would love him back on the team for nostalgic purposes once again. But he is even a clunkier fit because he can't shoot at all. And he is so paint bound that you're going to run into the same problems that you ran into last year with Aaron Baines, for example, who was just kind of always standing there in the middle of the floor, waiting to get offensive rebounds, waiting in the dunker spot, whatever it is. But that creates a log jam of bodies and a lack of space for guys like Siakam and Barnes and Ananobi to complete their drives. And we've seen the space that's out there when they're playing in this small ball configuration, it's just beautiful to see. They've been so much more healthy looking on offense 
with the extra space and shooting out there. And I just think Jakob cramps things a little bit too much. He's incredible. He's one of the best defensive centers in the league, probably like a top five defensive center. That might be cutting it short. He's incredible. Probably if he was like a more sort of noted offensive player, he would be in all defense conversations. He's that good. But I just don't know if he addresses what the Raptors really need right now, which is a little bit more dynamism. If they are going to have a center, there needs to be dynamism to them. They need to be able to shoot and space and create room and be an outlet for Siakam and Barnes and Fred Van Vliet. And I just don't think uh, Jakob Pertl is that, despite being awesome. Mo Bamba came up as a person people wanted to talk to me, wanted me to talk about. I, be great. Love Mo Bamba. He's cool. He's shooting threes. He's enormous. He blocks shots. If the Magic trade Mo Bamba in the first year he's shown any sort of promise, the Magic are idiots. Maybe Jeff Weltman and John Hammond are feeling happy because they have new contracts and job security through 2027 or whatever the hell it is. I don't think that's going to free them up and make them liberally just tossing Mo Bamba around the NBA. He's good and he should be part of their solution going forward. There's no need for them to move on from him. You have to give them a massive price. And the Raptors simply just don't have a massive price to offer for somebody. And I don't think like a first round pick is really something you should be throwing around from Obama because we don't even know if this improvement this season is going to hold. Is it going to continue up on an upward trajectory? It's all up in the air right now. The Magic should hang on to Obama. That's my expert advice. Uh, the last guy that came up is Marvin Bagley, who would be a nice addition, probably a buy low type guy. You know, there's obviously been a lot of problems over there with him in Sacramento, and it's been tricky. I, I just don't know if that's really something the Raptors need to go and 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 do. Like they have a developmental piece in Precious Achua. Maybe you think Bagley's a much better player. He probably has the like the goods to be a much better player. He was a second overall pick. He's highly touted. Maybe he does have um, you know, something still with stored within his bones that isn't the player he's been so far, which has been supremely disappointing. I just, it seems like a tricky thing to shoehorn in. You're going to have Marvin Bagley. You're not going to start him. You're probably going to keep starting small, or at least you should keep starting small, I think. Where is he going to play? Is he a power forward? Is he a center? It just feels like you're going to run into a lot of the same problems that the Kings have run into, where they haven't figured out what position he plays, and that's really stunted his growth. So not really in on Marvin Bagley either. This is all to say the Raptors don't need a center. This is not a thing they need right now. I've made this point a million times on the podcast, but I will again. They're not in a position in their competitive cycle right now that they need to be worrying about each and every little hole on the roster as though it's going to be their downfall. Their downfall will be that they're not as talented as the Miami Heat or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Brooklyn Nets. That's what's going to bring this team down, and no addition of any sort of marginal center upgrade is going to change that this year. Going ahead to next season, maybe that becomes more of a conversation and you look for deals at the deadline next year to address that problem, but... This is not a team right now that is in a position competitively where they need to be worried about every single potential matchup that could befall them, having specialists for individual matchups. That is a problem for the future Raptors of, you know, 2023, 2024 and beyond. So for now, stand pat, play with your smalls. And, and, you know, again, you're still playing big. You're still playing with six foot nine dudes freaking everywhere. It's not like you're playing with the small ball lineups the Raptors rolled out last season where they had an average height of like six foot five. Instead, they have an average height of six foot eight, and that is a pretty substantial difference. So that's where I'm at on the sort of, uh, you know, trade landscape for the Raptors going into the trade deadline season. We will obviously keep you posted as things develop, talk about rumors, talk with individual locked on hosts about potential deals and matches and things like that. That's all coming up over the course of next month. But I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of give a bit of a primer on the situation and where things stand. Overall, I would probably expect not a whole lot from the Raptors. 
This feels like a bit of a found money season already. Just let it ride and see what happens. And as Masai Ujiri, uh, you know, often says, like, you know, or has often shown, like he's not someone who's going to push the issue. He's not going to be impatient. He's going to let things marinate and and see how things kind of shake out and, and what they look like after a full season. Again, we've had like like 11 games of the team fully healthy and together this season so far, not nearly enough time to make any sort of judgments that should be feeding into any big time deadline decisions. So if you can make a quick upgrade with Chris Boucher and sort of reallocate a big to address the wings, great. If not, probably going to be a pretty quiet deadline, which isn't the worst thing in the world. If the Raptors are winning games and it's all good, it doesn't have to be a high stakes, stressful deadline like last year's was when, you know, the franchise icon from the last decade was potentially on the way out and it was very uh, emotionally toilsome. Is that a word? I don't know, but that's how I felt when Kyle Lowry was on the verge of getting traded last year. I don't want to go through that again. Give me a low stakes deadline where Goran Dragic and Chris Boucher get moved for marginal pieces. I'm a happy man. Either way, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Locked on Raptors. We'll be back again tomorrow, talk about the game against the Phoenix Suns, maybe with a guest, maybe not, TBD on that. And then Thursday this week, Amy Otterbert's going to be joining me. And Amy, of course, has been doing killer work as a broadcaster on Sportsnet broadcast this year. Started doing sidelines, has been doing play-by-play and color next to Matt Devlin now, uh, and has been killing it. So really excited to have Amy on to talk about the direction of the team, where things stand, and what life has been like transitioning from sideline into color analyst on the, uh, the blink of an eye. Like, it's an unbelievable thing. She's super talented. Really excited to have Amy on on Thursday, so you have that to look forward to. And then, of course, we'll close out the week probably with Katie Heindel on Friday, maybe a mailbag or something like that. So thank you very much for tuning in, as always. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen. Locked on bets is your boy Q and Lee Sterling. are killing it over there, making sense of a nonsensical sports world right now and still winning you money through it all. So go check out Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in and subscribing and telling a friend and rating and reviewing and going on YouTube. You're the very, very best. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.